Hello, I'm Rachel Richards, former BBC correspondent, parenting coach and mother of two teenagers and two older stepdaughters. And hi, I'm Susie Asley. I'm a qualified mindfulness instructor and psychotherapist and mother of three teenagers. Two of them are twins. Welcome. Pull up a chair, tune out all of your other responsibilities and let's begin. Coming up later in the episode, we talk about an issue raised by a school teacher. She says most of her kids seem to give up after their first attempt at anything. She's struggling to motivate them to push beyond that initial discomfort. But first, it's human nature to form groups both for pleasure and defence. Any parent will tell you that these groups or cliques can be fraught with problems for their teens. In this episode, we're going to talk about the issue from a girl's perspective, but hopefully it's helpful to all parents. And if you're a parent who's seen your daughter going through hell as a result of these groups, it can be profoundly upsetting, particularly if it brings back horrible memories. But here's the upside. It's a very important training ground for her and will make her see the cost of trying to remain in a group against standing her ground when they're forcing her to do or be things she's uncomfortable with. It's going to profoundly influence her code of ethics and understanding of who she is. While you're listening to this, it's worth reflecting on your own experiences and how they've shaped your behaviour. What do you think, Susie? Yeah, no, I love that um, angle of looking at your own experiences because I think they can still sit with us, can't they, and, and feel quite painful. So when when um, when our daughters go through particular issues, um, suddenly we are 14. <laughs> Transported back <laughs> to all even the realizing. Yes. Um, and it might not be the same experience at all for her. So it's really important, actually, that we just reflect on our own stuff so that we're able to separate it when we're when we're dealing with our own, own yes. children. Um, like in our first episode, we actually talked about our own baggage as parents and it's very difficult to separate up what's happening now from how we experience these things. And mm. what's interesting about it is that when we talk about uh, girl friendships, they do feel textually different to the friendships that boys have. And you've got boys as well. Yes. So um, I have I have twins, actually, a boy and a girl twin, and they, they're approach friendship unbelievably differently it's fascinating actually but I think that both groups tend to see these what they call friendship groups in inverted commas they're they're really a defensive alliance there are friendships within um, these groups but actually when they form tight groups it's all about being able to it's like a platoon of soldiers trying to survive adolescence and with girls in particular, it's a sense that you're either in the boat or you're out of the boat. And if you're out of the boat, you're drowning. Yeah. And it can be it can feel very, very frightening for somebody who's sucked into that situation or if they're in a school where that's quite prevalent. Yes. When they don't know how to get into a boat and, yes. and they're yeah. scared of falling out of it. I think it can go in phases. I, I, I completely resonate with that. Um um, I think it can go in phases for mine anyway, where it, if it's going well and everything is fine, then then it's just a lovely support and a beautiful place to be a teenager in. And it's fun and silly and all of those lovely things. I think when it becomes tense, <laughs> that's when it can become very quickly um, tricky. And and I love the the idea that actually it's a training ground. It's really, really helpful space to learn, to learn some values and to learn some skills boundaries for example uh, i mean it's so important that we don't just 
you know, let people walk on us. And that's really hard when you're 14 and you just want to fit in and belong. Um, but it's really important. So Rosalind Wiseman wrote a seminal book on this topic called Queen Bees and Wannabes. And I went back to it. I did actually buy it years ago uh, because I have two older stepdaughters and I wanted to arm myself. Um, so I've had I've had experience of both you know, both sets of them going through this sort of experience. And it varies enormously. So, you know, for example, one of my daughters, uh, she had, um, she was at a school where they had two boarding houses for girls, and they had been pitted against each other. And she said, you know, it's really disappointing, because you turn up at a school, and already, you've excluded half your female possible female friendships, because they're in a different boarding house. So the structures around them can make a difference. Um, but one of the points that was made in Queen Bees and Wannabes, this book that I've basically reread again because I needed to to think about this, and she's brilliant. I have to say she's brilliant. Is she says adolescence is a beauty pageant, and even if your daughter doesn't want to be a contestant, she has no choice. And this will be the same for boys to an extent, but it's not quite as rigid and and tightly constructed because girls are getting messages all the time about what being a girl means, and yeah. if you're outside of the box that is your particular group, you'll be punished for it. Yeah, it's less intense for boys, for sure. Yes, and girls are constantly comparing themselves to each other. The way she dresses and marks herself will mark her as being part of that group. And there is a structure within these groups that obviously will will change and, and can shift quite a lot. But um, this book really outlines them very well. And I thought they were fascinating. And what's, what would be great is if I talk about the different categories and people listening can think about whether they were in any of these particular roles, if they've seen any of these particular roles, if they've got friends who were in that role and are now still in that role. Yeah, yeah. Please share. We okay. love a category. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's the queen bee who's the head of the group, and she's the person who sets the tone for the group. So she decides what clothes are acceptable, you know, what their their meaning of their group is. And she can silence her peers with a look and then turn around and be incredibly nice. You're either with her or you're against her. Friendships are defined by her power and not mutual support. So, so she's the one, can be the one, where everyone says she's really popular, but nobody really likes her. They're all a bit scared of her <laughs> because she wields definitely so one much of them power. In my school. Right, yeah, she, yeah. She, she wields so much power. Yeah. And then she's got a sidekick. So she's got someone else who kind of patrols around with her and makes sure that, you know, she can talk to about things and will back her up. Then there's the banker, which I thought was a great term. And the banker is someone who collects information from different members of the group or outside the group and then spends it like it's money. So the gossip, she uses it to actually control people and put them back in their places. Then there's the messenger who trades personal information and gossip about others, but her motivation is to reconcile the parties in the conflict. She's trying to gather power by gaining recognition of being the person who's trying to smooth things over. The pleaser and wannabe is somebody who tries to gain favour from the queen bee and anticipates what people want, but doesn't ask herself what she wants in return. So these girls are rewarded for being just for being nice, you know, and they're nice to everybody. The torn bystander is someone who is not very good at saying no. They've got a rubber arm. They're looking at something that's not very nice that's happening and they just don't want to say anything. And her silence buys her social status. So she's in the group and she's just keeping quiet. Then there's the target who's the person that they all set upon. 
and they humiliate. Um, and the hierarchy of the, the clique is maintained by having someone at the bottom. So someone's got to be there or it's somebody outside. So this this sort of gossiping and, and working together maintains the cohesion of the group. And that target won't always be the same. It will change. Mm. When I hear that, that, I mean, it's fascinating. I think it's unbelievably it resonates in a way that's really uncomfortable <laughs> because it's, um, I, I totally recognize that from when I was probably 12, 13, not older than you kind of, well, I was lucky enough to have a different, a, a non-toxic friendship group. But um, yeah, um, it resonates in a, in, a, in a really uncomfortable way. Um, and I'm just thinking about my, my daughter as well, um, where she fits into that really interesting, fascinating. Yes. And for me, when I read that, there's a final category called the champion who isn't confined or controlled by this act like a woman box that's been mm. created for this group. And she can take criticism, doesn't make people choose friends. You know, she's got more high um, self-esteem. And personally, I don't remember when I was in school actively being member of a group. Mm. But part of that was because I moved every year and a half, two years. And only we only stopped when I did go to secondary school but I joined the secondary school late and I was used by then to always being the target because you do because you know that every time you start in a new school you know they get you're the odd one out and people will use you to try and gain power or pick on you and and actually I built some really great defenses so I was always very pleasant and nice to people and very friendly Mm. um and at the same time I just didn't get sucked into all of the you've got to wear this you've got you know to to fit in so I was never a smoker I never felt peer pressure I just I just looked on and so whilst I can sort of see these things in a way I was lucky because yeah. I, I just never felt that pressure. No, I guess that there are pluses and minuses with that because that also sounds hard to be moving all the time. Yeah. I think it's really important as well to remember why these groups are formed at all. Like that's really crucial. It's not just a pattern or a, a way of, of being mean. It's a survival mechanism because, you know, as we've spoken about before on this podcast, we all want to belong. We have, as human beings, we want to feel that we belong. We want to be seen and heard for who we are. And for teenagers, that's times 50. <laughs> Absolutely. They want to be, especially, maybe especially girls. You know, because they they're moving be out of their home yeah. and they need to find a new tribe. Yeah, they need to need to feel that they're belonging. So, it's it's not just oh I need to be in this group. It's like if I'm not in this group, then that Who is am I? terrifying. So they would you know they would use these strategies unconsciously to to stay in the group. And I think you know the target and, and a lot of the other ones they they fluctuate, don't they? They they change depending on the weather probably <laughs> or what the queen bees had for breakfast you know <laughs> yes and i believe it's it's wonderful because i have actually used talk to all of my daughters about these roles and they can once you talk about them it gives them power to be able to stand back and say oh so i and they can identify them and in the book she says don't you don't need to use my terms you can get your daughter to come up with her own terms because it may not fit perfectly mm. with her group structure but it's basically what am i seeing here And once I can identify the role and what they're trying to achieve, it makes it easier for me to navigate it. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I'm going to definitely talk to my daughter about it and and have a look at that book because it makes it less personal, doesn't it? It's a pattern that is happening outside of themselves rather than it being a personal attack, which it also is. But, you know, um, and it depends on the characters of the girls, doesn't it? I mean, 
personalities are very different their upbringing is very different um i have a daughter and, and she wouldn't mind me saying this um she's quite aware of it she's very very sensitive she's um very sort of empathic and um so we've done <laughs> when she was younger and and we revisit it sometimes she um she she finds it hard to set boundaries so we've done some role playing and you know just trying to help her to to you know learn that it's okay to to say no so i'm not quite sure which role she'd be but she's definitely one of those she's probably the pleaser the pleaser yeah yes. i'm thinking the pleaser was is probably and her. actually the the great thing is you coaching her and showing her how she can actually then move beyond that particular role yeah. will give set her up for life. Because yeah. once you can identify yourself in that group and see there are some positives mm. and some negatives, it will then give you a structure for the rest of your life to think about how you navigate. Yes. Because you'll be able to spot the people and think, yes. okay, I can see what they're doing. And rather than just pleasing them yes. I can it's okay for me to disagree yes because she likes being the pleaser and then people always come to her for advice and she likes being she likes having that role is and that's who she is as well but it also comes at a price um which is the boundary thing and the exhaustion of it so yeah it's a really helpful tool and you can tell the strength of a group by the punishment that will be meted out if you disagree with yes. any, with the queen bee or with with the group structure so if you decide to wear something that doesn't fit within the group you will be punished yes or you know whatever the categories are um interestingly she points out that there are two key things that are used to keep the control and one is teasing and one is gossip and the teasing's interesting because, of course, teasing is the cornerstone of great friendship. I look at the teasing that my husband and his friends uh, hand out and it's vicious, but it's hilarious. Mm. And it's just part of their being a great mates and nobody really takes offence. It's banter, and really, isn't it's it? Banter, banter. It's banter, exactly. And, and this is great when you can, and my daughters are even said, oh, it's, you know when you're great friends with someone when you can banter mm. and nobody takes offence. Then there's unintentional bad teasing where when the girl says actually I, that was really quite hurtful the other girl will say oh I'm so sorry I really didn't mean to offend you that's just unintentional but there's a lot of what they call the cutting teasing mm. where there's an attack on the most vulnerable area and then when the girl tries to say that that was really upsetting the response is can't you take a joke yeah or you know what's wrong with you you, you know yeah. you're such a bitch I also think you have to be quite emotionally mature to be able to say to somebody that what you just said really hurt me please don't do that again um and um I, d I definitely wasn't able to do that at the age of 13 14 definitely not so you have to be able to yeah maybe you know learn that it's actually okay to say that but yeah I don't think everyone yes and I've seen a lot you know the extent to which certain girls will go to a teacher and complain yeah. rather than go directly to the other girl yeah. because they just they just don't feel empowered because they feel that girls aren't supposed to do that yeah. and what we need to do is coach our daughters to say it's okay yeah it's okay to tell somebody and, and express it because yeah. the boys will probably just punch each other yeah <laughs> but, and also that it's met with um that, that it's just Honesty. a bit of a banter that maybe just went too far rather than it has to be taken to a, a level where, where you know, oh my goodness, you were bullying or, you know, something ridiculous when it was just learning, isn't it? A learning yes. And, and And that cuts out the, the unintentional um, teasing where it was bad teasing, yeah. but they didn't actually realise because there, there will be an extent to which they, they stumble. These teenagers yeah. say these things. And they're learning boundaries. They're learning how much, how much where, where is okay and where is not? Where do I need to rein it in? Yes. And coming to the gossip, 99.9% .9 of girls gossip. Yeah. Um, it's the lifeblood of cliques and popularity. It's fun. Yes. And 
What is gossip? So I used to live with one of my best male friends who, when I'd come home, he'd come, he used to work in the attic and he'd come hammering down the stairs and say, hey, what's the gossip? Because he was bored (laughs) and he just wanted me to come up with, and I felt the pressure to come up with something really funny and interesting. And, And that's the thing, when someone's, because they either say what's the gossip or they're looking for gossip yeah. you kind of need to come up with something so a girl who's got some good gossip you know a good beef yeah. um then buys current yeah, it's currency right yeah and maybe there's a difference between fun anecdotes it's funny and and light and then there's gossip isn't there where where you're putting somebody else down and that becomes a bit i don't know maybe the, where the, the root of that is quite tribal isn't it it's when you're us against them and and I've found this story out and we're all right aren't we because we're not in it but those people over there and that that can be really toxic so there are different kinds of of um talking about others uh, absolutely and she breaks it down in the book where she says there's venting where you go to a friend and you say and you just let all steam it's a pressure cooker and you just let it off where you say I'm so irritated with this person because they did this blah 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 um and then if that person then goes on and tells someone else that's gossip. Yeah. So it's actually talking to your daughter and say, so by the way, if you go and tell one person how you're feeling about something or someone comes and tells you, when you start handing that on to other people, you're now gossiping. Yeah. And think about the impact that might have and why you're doing it. What are you trying to buy with telling other people yes, that? Yes, absolutely. And, and I've also experienced um, around our dinner table, you know, someone will come in with a story about someone and, and, um, and it's how you respond to it as well, because sometimes it's just a funny story and then it's, haha, we all laugh. But sometimes I've been told something uh, by my kids where I actually think that was a really sensitive subject and I've responded as such thing, oh, you know, poor them, are they okay? You know, let's have a look at that. And, you know, I'm completely killjoying the story. <laughs> um, but I think it's really important to, to show them that, you know, there was a line there but with compassion and, no, you know, not judging them for telling it, but, you know, just showing them that actually maybe that's not a good sharing story and and maybe you need to check in on with your mate and check they're okay. Yeah. Um, so we can model that. Yeah. Not all story is up for grabs. These are very delicate areas. Yes. We have to sort of each time, you have to p- pick apart and think, oh, was, was that really that bad or was it? Yeah, you know, and are you laughing at something that's happened or are you laughing at them as a person? You know, how judgmental are you being? Is it justified? It's a, it's a really fine line between a lot of those things. Yeah. So the parental involvement in terms of just explaining what gossip is and explaining how you deal with these things, uh, strategizing really is what you need to do. Going in and saying, oh, well, I'll fix it is what happens when they're little. And one of my daughters was brilliant because she said, God, you know, it's much harder now because when you when I was little, you used to call up the parent and say, should we have a play date? <laughs> and then everything was fine. And it's not like that now. I have to fix it myself. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah you do. It's not my job. and But I can listen to you, help you think through what's happening and how you can deal with it. Yes, that's all we can do, really. I mean, yes. that's, and that's a really important role. And, and it shows that you've got her back. If you will prepare to listen to what's going on. And if they come to you with something, this is really a big thing. If they yeah. mention it to you, don't dismiss it as something that's a little. If they say, oh, it's not really anything, don't believe it. <laughs> if they've told you, it means that they want you to help them strategize it. They don't want you to tell them what to do. They want you to think through with them, how do I cope with what's going yeah. on? And in the book, there's a really great section that she she calls SEAL, S-E-A-L. 
And it's an acronym for stop and strategize. So write down every detail. So something's happened. Just sit down and, you know, where were you? Who was it? What did they say? You know, how did it make you feel? And this is important both for them to unpack their feelings, but also just in case it escalates and becomes a problem, then you have information that you can hand on to somebody more authoritative. And then coach them on how they can explain to that person what she doesn't like about what has happened and what she wants that person to do you know, what, what happens next? So rather than just saying, you really upset me, yeah. um, <laughs> you need to kind of say, so So this is what I want. Yeah, or how does it? How did it make you feel? And they can yeah. explain it from that so that it's not finger pointing. It's like, when you do that, that made me feel so-and-so. Yeah, and she says, it's critical, number one, that this doesn't happen electronically. I mean, I've watched some of these uh, conversations and, you know, my older daughters, the way that they conversed. Yeah. It's just, it half of it is shorthand. How is anyone supposed to understand really what you mean? And also, the problem with electronic communication is it's amplified everything. So if you send messages and you're trying to have a discussion that way, they can screenshot it, send yeah, it to yeah, other yeah, people. No, no just no at all. And also, if you're trying to tell the person they've upset you, the important thing is to do it on their own. Because if they're in front of any of their other posse, then they will feel the need to stand their ground mm. rather than do the right thing. Yeah. And and from a mindfulness perspective as well, I mean, I think they're all really great strategies. But from a mindfulness perspective, it's kind of turning inwards, isn't it? How do how do I feel? You know, that kind of classic, how do, how do the people you're with make you feel, like both while you're with them, but also really importantly afterwards, because we all know there's people where we think, oh, it's really lovely and fun. And then afterwards, actually, we're completely drained and depleted in a kind of, way um so sort of questioning how how do people make you feel and and do you want to repeat that (laughs) yeah no that's actually a really great point so it's it's looking at so is this friendship group or this particular friendship really what is it doing for me is it is it so exhausting that I actually can't function properly it's kind of toxic in a way and and teaching you know as adults and as kids that you know we don't have to stay there no, we don't no. have to stay there. Or if we do want to stay there, which is also completely valid, how can we how can we take care of ourselves in that context? Mm. How do we need to set better boundaries? Do we need to, I don't know, dip in and out or or whatever it is? But we we don't have to keep doing it. But we we can't tell that until we've looked inwards. We Absolutely. And the dangers of being locked into a role where you suddenly realise this role doesn't serve me well at all. Yeah. Like I've got to always be entertaining or yes. I'm the square one and nobody, yes. you know, I, I, I don't know how that happened, but yes. somehow I'm that. Yeah. And I've always said to my girls, you're, you're who you, you are many things. Yeah. Don't let their perception of you define you. Yeah. Don't think you've got to stay that way. Just take, say to them, I'm a teenager and I'm changing. Yeah, and they are and that's okay <laughs> all yes. the time, like both with what they like doing, but also with who they are. I mean, the vibes that we send out are everything, aren't they? And if we, mm. we're we not, if that they change when you're 14, 15, 16, like every week. Yes. And what you've <laughs> but the t- core stays the same. Absolutely. And what you've touched on is the A bit of the seal is affirming your right to exist without having people humiliate mm. her. So she needs, or he even, needs to say, you know what, I have a right to spend time in this group or in this school without you making me feel yeah. humiliated. So yeah. that's not okay. And then locking in or locking out of the relationship. So like you said, have a think, is this actually 
what I really want. Because each time we stumble, it gives us a chance to grow. Yeah. But with the compassion as well that actually at that age, it's terrifying to not be in. <laughs> so, yeah, even the awareness that this is an uncomfortable place for me to be, it doesn't really feel very nice for me. But the alternative is way worse. Yes, yes. <laughs> and sort of trying to help them with and that. And then ways that they can decompress when they're, you know, so that they can cope in the group and then just go home. And yeah, <laughs> or teach, you know, get them to understand somehow. And, you know, most adults struggle with this as well. You were right on your own. You don't need you don't need to be in a toxic relationship. You're better off without. One of the points she makes in the book is that there are girl world rules about expressing your anger. And these are subliminal rules. And when I read them, I thought, oh, God, of course. And they're things like in girl world, you can't be too overt about academic or athletic accomplishments. So unless you're in the girl world group, which is all about athletics. Mm. So there will exist those groups where they're all the sporty girls and they're just spending time together. Um, Girls internalize and suffer silently until someone makes them explode. They tend to laugh it off to convince themselves that they don't have to take their feelings seriously. Or they give the person the silent treatment. This is the one that guys always say, what? So they <laughs> give the person the silent treatment until the person notices and asks what what's wrong. Then they deny their anger and they say, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm okay. And then they get cross with the person because they couldn't read their mind. Yeah, I've seen a lot of adults doing that. Oh God, yeah, all the time. <laughs> I mean, I kind of hear I hear those, and I I kind of hope that girls are moving beyond the you can't be sporty, you can't be academic, yes. and I think that is changing, but slowly, I'm sure that they can shine in whatever floats their boat without being you know prejudiced against. Um, the anger issue, I think, is really interesting. I think it's. Um, you know, girls are still supposed to be quiet and nice and compliant within a school setting, even though that's, I think, changing a lot outside um, and which is, as we know, absolute rubbish and so, uh, so unhelpful. Um, but anger is is just seen as this horrible explosion, whereas often anyway, anger is a secondary emotion <laughs> and there's probably something else underneath it with the sadness or fear or something. It's a core emotion and anger is an expression of that. But that we all feel anger, you know, but it needs to obviously be expressed in a, in a helpful and healthy way. But how about we teach girls to do that instead of telling them to be quiet? And or nice. 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 <laughs> I've had teacher, I've actually had a teacher say to me a while ago, um, oh, you know, I've told them they've got to be nice and I just said look with all due respect please don't tell my daughter to be nice that doesn't mean it what do you mean what is nice it's meaningless you've got to actually be much more clear in what is expected of her behavior so let's let's set some clear parameters of what is good and what isn't and you would never tell a boy I'm sure she would never tell a group of boys just to be nice no (laughs) they would you know and and the boy girl thing is fascinating and I will talk about that another time but it's really different yes Yes. And there's a Bill of Rights, which I will stick into the podcast uh, notes if I can find enough space, because it's always it's, it's always a bit of a squeeze for space. But, you know, it's in terms of what can you expect from your friendships? And yes. you can just get your daughter to sit down or, and your son. What do you think makes a good friend? Yes. What's a bad friend? What can you expect? And then, you know, what are the values of what you think is a good friend? Because this is actually all about relationships generally. It's not just about friends. And it will shape their ethics and their future life and then say so how does that friendship group that you're in match up to that that's a brilliant way of doing it because then that's again making them look inwards what are their values and that's such an important exercise for us all to know what are our values what do we think is important but also maybe within a, a context of compassion so that 
our f- so that we don't have a, like a list of rules of oh well if you if you don't do that then you're out <laughs> yes, yes. but you know that it's also a learning platform and we love our friends and yes they can mess up but let's how how can we learn to to voice it when if okay well what you did made, made me feel like this so that they're learning and it's not just a in or out kind of scenario Absolutely. And then I've got another one, which is the the true apology, which she talks about in this book. I mean, honestly, buy the book. It's great, but it's quite it's quite overwhelming because there's so many scenarios that she goes through. So you'll learn a lot if you can actually sit and read it all. It's a a very good book. Mm. But, you know, explaining to your daughter what a true apology looks like. And one of them being that when someone apologizes to you, don't just say, oh, it's okay." No, you thank them for the apology because you may still be angry and you need to be able to say, you know, I thank you for that apology. Um, yeah. You know, you made me do th- feel this and, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, because um, I, th- I think my daughter definitely, uh, she had a run in a, a while back, quite a while back. And she got an apology finally, um, which was great. Um, and she just wanted it to be over. <laughs> so she was very much, mm. it's okay, it's all fine. And I, I picked her up on it and said, um, it's not fine still, though, is it? I mean, it's really brilliant. She's apologised, but just, you know, careful how you word it, that, you know, thank you so much for the apology. Really appreciate it. And maybe next time we can do this with this. Yes. Um, so, and plan for action. Yeah, next time, should yeah. we actually yeah. talk about it properly? Yeah. Like, like <laughs> grown-ups? Or? Yes, exactly. Yes, it's a learning platform, really, is important. It is, it is. Has your daughter had a tumultuous time with friendship groups? Is she floating on the outside or even checked out of the competition? Or are you one of the lucky parents whose daughter is in a school where this isn't a major issue? I posted a fantastic video about this called I've Got Your Back on our private Facebook group. One of our listeners has even got her boys to watch it so that they have a better insight into girl world and the pressures they're under. We'd love to hear any of your thoughts on this topic and any other issues you would like us to cover. Privacy guaranteed. Find us on all social media platforms and help at teenagersuntangled.com. Now, a teacher I spoke with said that the one thing she struggles with most is her students all seem to give up at the very first hurdle. She wants us to look at what's happening and strategies we as parents can use to encourage our teens. Have you seen your kids giving up at the first hurdle? Yeah, and this subject, to be honest, triggers me slightly. (laughs) (laughs) Which is always interesting. It's kind of it's a bit it's a bit like the previous one we did, which is, you know, when you when your child wants to give something up that they've been perfecting for ages. Um, It's a different angle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really similar to that. And it's it's really that balance between um, to do anything that is really worthwhile and satisfying. We have to step out of our comfort zone, which can feel, as in the name, <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe push ourselves a bit to, to do it and put the work in, whatever that looks like. And then on the other side is this idea of striving and and non-striving is a big part of mindfulness so when you know when we're striving in a way that's un, unhealthy for us we're just you know we're working it's it's really stressful it's it's toxic um so i think there's also there's still a tradition of you know you can't be a quitter you've got to keep going you've got to do these things you know keep going keep going keep going whatever the cost is and I think it's really important not to do that either <laughs> because that's obviously not a helpful place to be and I think as parents we we sometimes myself included you know we worry that if they're giving everything up that you know where will that end and um but at the end of the day kids are hungry to learn they want to learn things they want to do things and we are a bit in a situation where we have 
stuck our kids, and this is my opinion, I'm slightly opinionated on all of this, <laughs> as you probably hear. Um, we stick our kids in school very young. We shove a lot of information at them and we expect them to sit for hours learning all this information. And then we go when they're eight, oh, why don't they want to learn anymore? Why, <laughs> why, why are they full? <laughs> why, are they, why are they dis disconnected to, from school? Not all of them, I know, but, but some of them. And it's, you know, that's not really uh, rocket science, in my opinion. But really, if we leave them alone a bit more, um, then they will probably drift a bit. And then they'll go, oh, that, that's what I want to learn. And that's the whole, you know, the whole, um, the whole thing about unschooling is that, mm. you know, at some point they'll go, I want to learn that. And then they'll learn it immediately. And I can see it with my eldest at the moment. He's, you know, he does his own thing. And driving is really important to him. So he's like, he's super motivated. So it's a fine balance, but we do have to step out of our comfort zones as well. So it is a balance. Yeah. So it, for us parents, I think there's a, there's a fear. And I think in terms of giving parents help, yes, to an extent, letting your child make mistakes is very valuable. And, you know, all the psychologists say this does work as a strategy rather than picking up everything. And because we're so fearful stepping in and trying to fix them things, we do need to let them make their own mistakes. Research by Seligman, Peterson and Duckworth looked into the most successful people. And I know you're going to be like, yeah. mm, okay. Define success. Define success. <laughs> These are people who are capable of doing great things, whatever they are, you know, whether they're sport or work or music or anything. They say there are 24 behaviours which can be grouped into seven key character traits. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, we love, we love some more categories. <laughs> Brilliant. So the zest, grit, self-control, hope or optimism, curiosity, gratitude, social intelligence. And there's a, a, um, a sort of organisation called KIPP NYC, which has designed a, a sort of big message saturation of these strengths that they've been sort of trying out in an educational environment. And they claim that this programme um, what they do is they they take grade point average scores, which is these horrible measures that we use all the time mm. on kids, and they put character point average scores next to them. Okay. And so they, they're constantly telling them about what the character traits are that help people. And they say that the graduation rates of KIPP alumni has, have doubled. So if you're measuring people on graduation, it's successful. Yeah, that's a huge difference. But coming back to us as parents... Uh, Brene Brown, the author of Gifts of Imperfection, who we love. Who we love. Yes. She's amazing. Um, says we cannot give our children what we do not have ourselves. So mm. this is a very, very important point, which is the way we talk about our own challenges and our own successes is going to have a dramatic impact on our children. So if you're telling your children, your teenagers, they've got to do this, that and the other, and they're seeing none of that in your own behaviour, it's going to be a bit of a problem. And it's all very well saying, well, I go out to work every day and I'm having to do stuff. It's sort of meaningless mm. to them. And we've also got to combat what's happening in their lives. So, for example, there's a YouTuber called Emma Chamberlain who uh, one of my daughters pointed out and she said, I love her because she's so authentic. She doesn't wear loads of makeup. She burps and farts and she just, you know, she's living this great life and she just talks about all her anxieties and things. And she's bought a house with the proceeds and she doesn't have to work. She's basically just, you know, YouTubing her life. Mm. And so I watched some of it and I said, she's great because she is real. So mm. I can see why she's appealing. And she has become massively successful. The big problem is the add-on was 
oh, and, you know, look at what she's managed to buy. She's doing nothing. And I mm. said, well, you know, you say that, but she's, th- she's living nothing. in a goldfish bowl and she's probably working full days trying to package herself. Yeah, YouTubers actually do, you know, they spend a really, really long time doing what they do and yes. they make it look easy because that's what they want it to look like. And yes, and they really make it lost. look effortless. And, yeah. and, and actually... The girl is showing resilience. She's she she'll make mistakes with what she's doing, and then she tries yeah. again. And so actually, there is all of that is in yeah. these YouTubers, but it looks effortless. Yeah. and that's the difficult. That's the lie yeah. that our teenagers are being fed. I love the Brené Brown thing, though. I mean, we have to model things if it's going to be authentic for our children. And I also think it's really important. I love all those um, words, the zest and that that list that you read out. I think they're, they're wonderful things. And if they help kids, brilliant. But I also think it's really important that it uh, the intention behind the words is 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 crucial. If it's coming from a place of fear, uh, where a lot of things do come when we're talking about our kids and whether we want them to be a success, whatever that looks like. Um, it's fear-based often, you know, so you also have to have zest. Da, 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 da. You also have to do these <laughs> I've things. I've seen no zest yes. today. <laughs> come on, come on. So it becomes another burden, which is really stressful. Yeah, yeah. Or is it coming? What have you ticked today yeah, of this list of things exactly. you're supposed to be? You're not doing that either. Um, or is it coming from a, you know, a more wholehearted place of this is a really lovely value that I'd love you to integrate into your life. And I'm I'm doing it too kind of thing. Let's do it together. That's it's the a really great one. Different way. It's also looking at yourself and saying, OK, I don't get it right all the time. So yeah. here I am trying to exhibit grit and resilience. Yeah. And the, the grit and resilience are the key ones that yeah. people all, they're the big buzzwords, yeah. aren't they? And grit is something we earn and develop through experience. You can't give somebody grit. No. They have to work it out themselves. And resilience is how we come out of or, or recover from hardship when yeah. things go wrong are we able to get up and 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 actually it's a wonderful brain development um, resilience is yeah. where when you fall over and then you think okay I've just got to get up and yeah. carry on your brain changes there's neuroplasticity there yes. and while they're growing while they're teenagers if they can get experiences where they manage to get back on the horse and and because they want to actually achieve something yes. Uh, uh, rather yeah. than because they've got a parent who's actually... Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to punish you, you if you don't get up there. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be within a... It's, again, it's the intention behind. It's the context of compassion that actually, yes, it's really important to have grit and resilience. Of course, you know, it's that they are wonderful characteristics. Um, and some days it's okay not to have it. It's, yeah. Some days it's okay to just lie down and go, do you know what? Can't be asked today. Dark and that's and fine. Yes. And too much stress actually... Um, damages the prefrontal cortex, which is the bit that's about self-regulation. And and it's, you know, when they, they their brains are plastic, we need as much of that as we can because they don't have an awful lot. God, no, we, they, especially the boys <laughs> don't get that yes. even smaller. <laughs> so putting them out on, under too much stress actually will weaken that prefrontal yeah. cortex and then they'll they'll do other, you know, high-risk behaviours. Yeah. So it's actually better not yeah. to be pressurising and stressing them. The biggest problem is that fear of failure. That's the thing that stops people. So if you think about teenagers, they're surrounded by these friendship groups that we've been talking about. And then they have to, in front of them, do something that's hard where mm. they may not be very good at it. So what are you going to do? Are you going to put your neck on the line and say, uh, you know, I'm going to try really hard at this. And then when I fail, I look idiot. Or if I say, oh, no, I'm not bothered, then, you know, you've lost no face when you can't do it. You're like, oh, I didn't really care. I didn't mm. try. So it's actually easier to take that track. So Professor Martin Seligman talks about pessimistic people and optimistic people. And the pessimistic people tend to think of mistakes as personal 
So it's it's because of who you are. They're permanent and they're pervasive. They're everywhere. Whereas optimistic people will think of mistakes as impersonal. It's not they are not the mistake. They made a mistake. It's very different. Yeah. They think about mistakes as very specific. So it was that's one thing that's happened. That doesn't reflect on anything else that's happening. And it's short term. Yeah. It can be fixed. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. It's not a personal thing, is it? And I guess, you know, that links back to self-worth, doesn't it? If you if what you do is linked to to your self-worth, then making a mistake will, you know, will cause feelings of shame and of feeling not good enough and, and really all lots of uncomfortable things. And the sentence I love is losing is something you do, not some someone you are. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is they will walk around going, loser, loser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does make it Super difficult. <laughs> Um, but it really helps in adulthood because, you know, I was doing a lot of creative writing and I yeah. remember the teacher saying, you've got to separate yourself from the writing. Yes. It's just writing. Yeah. It's not you. And it's and I'm I have no problem with separating myself from my mm. writing, um, which is, you know, it's great. It helps yeah. me. As a Still musician. Doesn't, doesn't make it good. But <laughs> yeah, as a musician, I can relate to that as well, because it's, you know, you are you are actually expressing a part of yourself. Um, and then it's really easy to take that personally. So I think we're getting at something here when you. When you put something important into an activity and really try, you're really putting yourself on the line because you feel that by really putting something into it and then failing, that it says something about you. Whereas what we need to say to our teenagers and to ourselves Mm -hmm. is when you put something into it and it doesn't work, it's got nothing to do. It's just, you know, try again. Yeah. That, that particular strategy may not have worked. Let's have another go. Yeah. And it takes time to get good at things. And recognising that you are, again, Brenny Brown, recognising <laughs> that when you do that, you are putting yourself in a position of vulnerability. And that is also needs to be taken care of. You know, you are making yourself vulnerable when you are, you know, when our teenagers are doing something that's important to them or it's an exam that they they want to do well in. It's a, there's a risk in that. So that's why you hear often teenagers going, oh, I haven't really revised. Yet. Oh, I've yes, done nothing. of course. I've done nothing. Because they probably have, but they it's much easier to go, well, I got a bad grade, but I didn't revise. Yeah, it was, it's nothing and to I, do with me. It's, you you know, know, busted my I could have done it off for that and I still got a D, you know. <laughs> Look, exactly. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That psychology. I mean, what we do as a family is we like to go on big hikes and um, one of my daughters doesn't particularly like them. And uh, <laughs> particularly when they're, some of them are really extreme because we yeah. hike up mountains. Uh-huh. And, you know, my, my I say to her, you need to find techniques for coping with, you know, when you're not enjoying it, yes. when you're experiencing discomfort. Um, and we do these hard things out of the classroom and out of the difficult parts of our lives so that we know that we can confront things in the difficult parts of our lives. That is so important. That's one of my favourite parts of the mindfulness course I teach teenagers in schools is learning how to sit with discomfort. And we do, just briefly, we do two different things. And I actually think it's it's one of the most important things because we are, as a society, rubbish at sitting with discomfort. And that's not the same as inviting people to sit with things that are intolerable or or not helpful for them um, but little bits of discomfort are really important so what we do is we I give them a piece of chili <laughs> and they sit and eat that 
And then they, they, you know, they use the tools that I've taught them with breathing and, you know, regulation. And of course, they can spit it out if they don't want it. Um, but it's learning. How can you sit with a little yes. bit of discomfort knowing that it will pass? Yes. And the other one we do near the end of the course, which particularly the boys enjoy, is they have to pass an electric shock ball around, <laughs> <laughs> which is really, really fun. And they, you know, the nerves of it and it's, you know, it's random electric shocks and they're really mild, um, usually. <laughs> but the the idea of the of that they're going to have a bit of discomfort what does that feel like and then afterwards how can you regulate because your nervous system has gone a bit awol how can you regulate and come back to being okay again and we are as a society not very good at that so it's mm. very important that we we learn to sit with a little bit of discomfort and being able to know that it will pass and yeah. that you can move on beyond yeah. it and yeah, yeah. really interesting yeah. So self-acceptance is critical and it makes a person okay no matter what's going on. So these kids who are in classrooms and they're sitting looking around at their mates and they don't want to admit that they'd quite like to try this, but they're scared of failing. We can coach them. And the ways to coach self-acceptance are to validate and coach through all their emotions, like you said. Do you feel this? Okay, this is the way to cope with it. Using the mindfulness to not to judge yourself and, and your other friends. And modelling and teaching positive self-talk. For example, I've been confronted by my daughter because she said, yeah, well, you've got to finish things. You've got to finish things. And I said, <laughs> like, what? What are, you, what, what's, what are you getting at? And she said, got that big project out the back where you were going to make this massive herb garden. And look at it. Look at it. When are you going to finish that? And I said, ah, now that's a really interesting one because I started out, I planned it all out. I'd read a book on herb gardens and thought, ah, oh, this is amazing. I definitely need a herb garden. And I'd seen things on Instagram. You know, I did all of the work. And then when I started the project, I realized that the sunlight wasn't quite right. And it's a learning experience. It's an iterative process because I am not a garden designer. If I'd bought a garden designer in, they would have gone, yeah, yeah that's not going to work. <laughs> but but obviously, I don't know that stuff. So I'm and I'm not afraid of failing. So I'm not afraid that if I start this project and it's not quite right, that I need to swerve. Yeah. And so I said, so what I realized when I had that conversation was with her was that in the back of her mind, she had been really annoyed with me oh. because she thought, oh, here you are. You just start things and you give them up willy-nilly. Nothing gets finished. Yes. But in actual fact, we need to be open about the process, the iterative process that happens in life very often. That yes. some things are discrete projects where they start and finish very quickly and other things you set out on that path and you have to, you hit, you hit a bump and you go, okay, it's fine. I'll just swerve. Yeah. I'll just swerve. You know, I'm not going to give up and just forget about it. That's really important. Yeah. That reminds me of, um, or two things in our home, I think probably the best learning for all of us was when my eldest had horrible back issues and then he had to do physio, really boring physio exercises. And it took us a really long time to find out what was wrong. It was a long, boring story. And basically I did physio with him for months every evening. The accumulative effect of that was that it kind of made him feel better and his back was healed but in the at the time you know you're doing these tiny little exercises and you think really is this going to help <laughs> but what a great learning that actually if you do a tiny bit every day then the bigger picture is wow it makes a huge difference so I'm hoping Amazing. that was a good lesson I think we need to reinforce it by saying so did you notice yes because yeah. I think quite often that it can get lost in all the noise of life yes definitely. and that's what I had been getting wrong that I hadn't actually said yes. so by the way what I'm doing is this yes and yeah. so coming back to the our teenagers they're going into school 
listen for what they say. For example, I'm crap at maths. Yeah. Well, no, you're practicing some exercises. When you find that you can't do something or you get a bad mark, that just shows you what you haven't got your head around yeah. yet. So let's just, you know, so so now you know where to target to, yeah. to get better. Um, I'm completely uncoordinated. I can't play netball. Mm. Well, no, if you keep practicing, you're going to get better. You know, you are going to, you, it's sports. So, for example, one of my daughters really is mal-coordinated. In fact, three of my daughters, <laughs> my stepdaughters, mal-coordinated. Mal yeah. Oh, I can't do any of that. Well, actually, um, you can either say, okay, I'm going to find something that plays to my strengths. Yes. Or what I'm going to do is just keep practicing. And one of my daughters, when she first started uh, doing one particular sport, every single time she did it, it looked like she'd never done it in her life. Yeah. And it was almost comical. And I had to stand behind her and say, it's okay, you're doing really well. This is amazing. It's amazing. Just to get her through that self-talk. Yeah. And now she's fantastic at it. Amazing. Because those those skills develop yeah. because she's doing it. Over it's hours over put again. in, isn't it, as well? Exactly. So it's mind. about saying, okay, who cares if I'm in the D yeah. team? Yeah. I'm going to go out there, have some fun and yeah. get, a, you know, get a bit sweaty and go and be with some mates and just run around a bit. Yeah. So we, it's about sort of reframing it so they don't feel bad that they're in the D team. They feel like they're actually gaining something yeah. from it. Because we have, they're, they're up against a society that that kind of says if you're good at something, you're a better person. Yeah. Um, or that you're instantly good at something. You're talented or you're not talented. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Black and white like Complete that. Complete myth. And if they can understand, and this is a really big ask for most of us, you know, if they can understand that they are good enough just by being themselves. Mm. That's it. You are good enough just as you are. I can't think of a better way to end this segment. Coming up in our next episode, we take a look at parenting teens on your own. For some, it's because one parent takes little interest or is absent because of work. For many others, like Susie, it's having to navigate stormy skies without a co-pilot. And our question comes from Simon, who says, My teenage son is mostly moody with the odd spell of thunder. It brings everyone down. How do I know if it's just typical teenager or something worse? And what can I do about it? We'd love to hear from you. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and you can email us on help at teenagersuntangled.com. Don't forget to subscribe on places like Spotify and Audible so you don't miss an episode and tell your friends. Right, you've made it to the end of this episode. Have a pat on the back and lean in close because I have one last thing that you need to know. You are a great parent and you are enough, just as you are. Goodbye. Bye-bye for now.